We have been working through a series called Rising Strong, okay? And, and we decided to dive into this series because we thought if, if you're anything like us and the rest of our team, you probably have things in your life, okay? Things that are weighing you down, things that are um, either things you've done or things that have happened to you that you're just feeling stuck in a rut about, okay? Things you're working through or things that you've had to work through and, and that have felt a little bit impossible. And so we wanted to look at what uh, can we learn from God's word to, to work through these things? What type of hope is offered in the Bible and uh, how can we move through it? Um, when we started uh, thinking and dreaming about this series, it had a title that was something more to the effect of like what to do when life kicks the stuff out of you, uh, except the word was not stuff. Um, and you know what? I love this about the house because it People are willing to be honest and vulnerable about, look, I have things in my life that I struggle with, okay? And, and we say this, that is, the only thing that's okay really is to not be okay, okay? We all are in need of Jesus' help. And so um, we live in this world, okay, of, of constant tension, of impossibilities, okay? We can all agree that no one's perfect, but the good news is that we serve a God who is, who is perfect, who isn't um, with blemish and, and who is a God of miracles and can do things in our life that we can't ever imagine. And so I'm uh, excited to explore with you today uh, some of his gospel. And I just want to pray as we dive in here and we can center ourselves and then uh, we'll get rocking and rolling. So God, thankful that you uh, haven't left us to flounder. Thankful that you've given us your word and, and some clear instruction and hope um, that we might be able to navigate this life. And um, that God, we... Um, God, that you would just show us, that you show us the way, you show us where we need help, and then you show us how you help us. So I pray that you'd be revealing more of yourself to us tonight, that we might love you more and find more hope in you and uh, just be more excited about your gospel. In your name, amen. Uh, last week, um, I had uh, my wife's family, Sarah's family, they came down from Victoria and, and stayed with us for the week, okay? And when, when Sarah's family comes, um, so her mom and her dad were planning on coming down. Uh, and when Sarah's family comes, it's a bit more like the all-inclusive Shaw cable package, okay? So you go and you phone and you're like, hey, I need internet 30. And they're like, great, we'll give you cable 9 million for free for six months. You go, oh, great, awesome. And so with Sarah's family, we get um, mom and dad, but then we also get her sister, her brother-in-law, and their two kids all at once from the island, Okay, this isn't so bad now, but we used to live in this tiny little basement suite. Okay, we had one room, and we were literally um, like having people sleep in the hallway, in the bathtub, and it was totally chaotic. Um, now, thankfully, we've got a few more rooms. We can do it a little bit better than we could, um, but it's still a little bit chaotic at best, if I'm honest. Um, one of my favorite parts about having Sarah's family down is getting to spend time with my niece and nephew, okay? Um, we, uh, they just rock. So one, Hadley is four. I, I think we got a picture here of Hadley. This is Hadley. She is four. She is just a charmer. She is just like, has this monster of a personality. I don't mean that in like a bad way, but just this huge personality um, that she is always busy and doing things and she wants things when she wants them and how she wants them. Um, but it has been so fun to, we went to the park and hung out. That was so good. And then there's Matthias, okay? Matthias is one. He is, he's a stunner. I'm telling you, he's going to be trouble when he grows up. Uh, such a cute kid, but he is, he's the exact opposite. He's relaxed, he's laid back, loves to just hang out, um, cruise around, and, and like he's one year old. Like what is bad in the world when you are one? 
And um, so, so cool to see each of them kind of come into their personality and their own person and get to spend time hanging out with them. Uh, and so we learned uh, in this day that our house, our new house, isn't quite as kid-friendly as we might have thought it was, okay? We thought, oh, this is great. We got this new home, and uh, it's awesome. But we learned that hard, like laminate floors everywhere are really echoey, okay? So it was loud. We also learned that when your kitchen, your dining room, your living room are all in one open area, you can't really contain the screaming within one room. It's everywhere, and we experienced that, and it was awesome, but a little bit chaotic again. Um, Matthias loves to just cruise around, crawl, and, and we have this giant area rug. You know when you go to HomeSense, you go to the back, and they have the huge ones that hang? We got one of those, and it's super soft and shaggy, and I, I personally, I just love to lay on it. I love spending time in front of the fireplace, and that's like my veg out time. And I thought, this is going to be an amazing place for a one-year-old to play. He's, we're going to set him down, and he's going to camp out and be stuck, right? He's going to love it. Unfortunately, I was not right, okay? We, um, with Matthias, we would go, okay, here's, here's your zone. We'd pop him down, and you'd turn around to, like, grab a coffee or sneeze, and the guy is bolting for another part of the room. You're going, what is going on? Uh, and this was the pattern of the next or the last five days. And so we would put him down in one spot, and you turn around, and he's going another direction. And so we have a lot of great places to play in our house, the fireplace and the stairs are not any of those places, but somehow they're always the most attractive. So he, every time you turn around, is making a mad dash for the stairs. What could it be about the stairs? And so again, we pick him up and put him on the rug and give him some blocks and some, it's just no good. He's always going for the stairs. And so there is something so luring to him about this staircase we don't know why. We don't know exactly. Uh, it's almost as if he knew we didn't want him to run in that direction, and he would just do it just to see if we noticed or something. Uh, I'm not quite willing to give it to him that he just accidentally, that might have been the direction he crawled. I think there was some, some intent there. Uh, and, and so um, there was just this, it seems like defiance, but there is this attraction to the thing that, that you shouldn't do. And unfortunately, in my experience, as, as an adult human now, I can say that, uh, we don't entirely move beyond that disposition, do we? There is always some level of attraction to the thing that we're not supposed to do. And it probably looks a bit different for each of us, but there is something in your life that, that, that's calling you that you should be doing, and you're going, I'm going to sign up for this one instead. And I don't know who you are. I don't know what that thing is for your life. It might just be something as simple as paying off your credit card and you're too scared to look at it because you spent too much time in, I don't know, HomeSense or the bar. I don't know what it is for you. Um, but the reality is there's likely something in your life that you feel, either that you feel called to or something that you shouldn't be doing that you are having a hard time avoiding. Um, it might be something that you feel God's even called you to, an area, maybe it's a place of service, maybe it's just, I don't know exactly what it would be for you, but maybe there is something in your life that he's called you to um, and that, that you're running away from, that you're feeling afraid of for whatever reason. Uh, today we're going to take a few moments and look at the story of Jonah. 
And if, if you have spent any time in Sunday school growing up, it's likely that you heard the story of Jonah. Um, you were probably hearing it as the story of this dude who got swallowed by a big fish and then got spit out and you were just confused about how he lived and what was going on and it was weird. And um, I don't ha- we're not going to answer those questions today, okay? Just going to put that out there right now, in the clear. Um, But when we actually look at Jonah's life, and and we're going to kind of explore this today, we find that the four chapters in his book are much less about this big whale, which seems to be the only thing that makes it into the coloring books, okay, and much more about Jonah, this this guy who um, just has this, this heart condition, who is unable to see God's mercy for all people for all time. It's much more about a dude who is in desperate need of forgiveness and the leading of Jesus. And so we don't know much about Jonah, but what we do know is that he was running away from God and that God, despite his running away, chose to use Jonah as his plan A. Okay, Jonah wasn't the backup. He wasn't the sideliner. Jonah was God's plan for Nineveh. And God chose to use him profoundly. And so there might be something in your life, and maybe you're here today, and you're feeling a bit like Jonah. Maybe there's something you're running from. Maybe there's something that, that you need to give a little more thought to. Uh, and we're going to explore and look at how, how can you, and how does Jonah's story inspire us to lean into Jesus and, and to rise strong. And so if you have a Bible today, I want to encourage you, you can grab that. We're going to be in the book of Jonah. It's a four-chapter book, and it's sandwiched between Obadiah and Micah. Uh, Obadiah is also so small that I actually thought it was sandwiched between Amos and Micah before I did my research. Um, but we're going we're gonna to burn through these four chapters. And rather than reading it all, because I know that I'd have you all asleep by the time we made it through there, we're just going to summarize it and see what we can learn from it. So um, here we go. Let's go time. Jonah, at the beginning of chapter one, how many of you guys have heard of Jonah? Let's just, let's just get some participation. Okay, a few people. Awesome. Nice. Okay, at the beginning of Jonah, chapter 1, the Lord speaks to Jonah, and he says this. He says, Arise and go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry against it, for their wickedness has come up against me. Okay, so, so God's saying, look, Nineveh's in deep trouble. I need someone to go help them. They need help. Jonah, you're the dude, okay? You're going to go. Um, I love that every time in, in when Jesus or when the Lord talks about um, Nineveh, he always refers to it as a great city. And so we know there's something significant going on here. But for whatever reason, Jonah doesn't want to go. We don't know exactly why at this point. We're going to find that out. And whatever the reason is, Jonah says, you know what, Nineveh doesn't sound good. Um, Lord, I know this is what you have for me. I'm going to go the other way instead. I'm going to go to Tarshish. It's hard to say, Tarshish. This is on the opposite side of the Mediterranean, okay? So we got Nineveh and we got Tarshish. So he had to blatantly, intentionally go the opposite direction. This was not your Tim Horton stop in Merritt on the way to Vancouver. Okay, he drove to Alberta. Why he did? We're not sure. He's confused, okay? But he's going the other way. And so um, Jonah had to take a ship, obviously, to get where he was going. And during his time on the ship, the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea. And the, the ship threatened to break up. We see this in chapter 1, verse 4. And uh, Jonah was with some sailors at that point, some pagan sailors. And they were horrified, okay? They're going, what is going on with this sea? It was a terrible storm, and they didn't know what was going on. And they, they figured there must be someone's misfortune on the ship that's causing this hell for us. And so they said, what are we going to do? Let's cast lots. And so they cast lots. And surprise, surprise, the lot falls on Jonah. 
So once Jonah's found out, he, he fesses up to this, right? He says, actually, um, the reason that, that this is happening is because I'm running away from God. Um, sailors are not stoked at this point. <laughs> but Jonah says to them, he says, take me up and throw me into the sea, and then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know that it's because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. So Jonah is sacrificing himself, saying, I know what's going on here. Let go of me, throw me overboard, and the sea will quiet. And so these, these poor sailors, um, they're feeling terrible at this. They're like, oh, there's got to be a better option. They go, all right, Lord. So they pray. don't even know if they believe in God or not, but they pray and say, Lord, if you exist, forgive us, because we're going to throw this guy overboard. Uh, so they do that. And uh, then we see that the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And that Jonah then, this is the iconic part that we read about. Jonah spends three days in the belly of that fish. And then during that time, Jonah called out to the Lord in his distress. So we see Jonah actually have a change of heart, repentance. And he calls out to the Lord and God answers him. And on that third day, the fish spit him out on dry land. So just, just a little aside here, um, many scholars would say that, that the three days that Jonah spent in the, the, the stomach of the whale uh, is actually a foreshadowing of the coming of Christ, and that Christ would come, he would spend three days buried, three days dead, and rise again. Uh, similarly, we see um, that the Jonah sacrificially gives himself up for the greater good of his ship, um, just like Jesus did for the greater good of the world. And so I, I love as often as we can um, to, to see the parallels of the Old Testament, that the Bible is not this book about, a, 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 sorry, the Old Testament isn't this, this section of books about a, a God full of wrath and hatred. And then the New Testament, we have this lovey-dovey, blonde-haired, blue-eyed, stupid Jesus. But that rather, it is all about the person of Jesus, okay, coming to redeem and reconcile the world to himself. Um, really important for us to see. Let's keep moving here. We're in, we're in Jonah chapter 3. Are you guys still with me? Man, is it hot in here? It feels hot up here. Yeah, Ed's nodding. That means I know it's hot. He's always sweating. <laughs> Sorry, Ed. All right, chapter 3. Um, Jonah, at this point, he's been called by the Lord. He's run the opposite direction. He's been thrown overboard, swallowed by a fish, and back on dry land. What a week for Jonah, right? You think you've had a bad week. Try out Jonah. Poor dude. All right, so the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Jonah's probably going like, what the heck, Lord? Just leave me alone. Find someone else. He says, arise to Nineveh, that great city, and proclaim to it the message that I tell you. So Jonah goes, and he walks through the city, crying out, yet 40 days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. This is in chapter 3, verse 4. So Jonah does just that. He shows up in Nineveh and tells the people about their wickedness, tells them that God's going to judge them and that they need to repent and turn from their ways. Uh, it seems pretty wild and abstract for us to think about one dude going in and, and telling a whole nation about this, a great city. Um, but what we see is that the people of Nineveh in verse 5 believed God, and they did just that. They put on sackcloths and repented and started praying and fasting. This to me is just wild. I don't know if we understand how wild this is, how profound this is. Um, I don't know how many of you know about, about recess. Recess is something that goes on up at UBCO. It's the year-end, like, party of insanity, and there's loud music and um, um, water and other substances and things. And uh, it's pretty chaotic, okay? Um, 
if you were to walk up to recess, somehow make your way onto the stage and go, you guys need help and the Lord's going to judge you, you would probably get slapped in the face and booed and like it, you would not have people putting on sackcloths and fasting, okay? Or even the cultural equivalent, it would not be happening. And so there's a few things that we can see about Nineveh and Jonah here. And there's a few things that contributed to his power and influence. And the first is this, that Nineveh was a nation in amidst conflict, okay? Um, the other Assyrian nations around him uh, were, were fighting against each other, and there was widespread famine. So the, the, the nation was already in a compromised position. So that's the first one. But the second one, and the more important one, is this, that God supernaturally empowered Jonah. See, Jonah was a super average guy with many flaws, and, and yet God chose him to deliver the message of the gospel to Nineveh, the great city of Nineveh. And Jonah was much like you and I, flawed in many ways, and yet God has chosen him to be his plan A. We go on and read in chapter, uh, chapter 10, verse 3, and it says, God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil, and God relented of the disaster that he said he would do to them, and he did not do it. Thank you, God. That's good. So now Jonah hears from God a second time, right? And he listens this time. Um, I think it's pretty remarkable that it only took two times. I don't know what your life is like, but oftentimes it takes a few more than two times for me to figure something out. Um, my wife, my poor, my, my blessed wife, Sarah, she has told me at least a hundred times how to eat my cereal in the morning, and I still can't seem to figure it out. It's a work in progress. Um, Jonah, two times, listens to God, turns around, uh, and, and, and follows him faithfully. But after listening to God faithfully, he's still kind of stuck. Okay, he's still kind of in a rut. And, and so this next part of the text is really the, the important, the glue for all of it. And we can see what the book's about, why Jonah actually decided to go to Tarshish instead of Nineveh. And so we're in chapter 4, verse 1. It says, that, But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry, it being that God saved Nineveh. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O oh Lord, is this not what I had said when I was yet in my country? That is why, made, why, is, that is why I made haste to flee to, for Tarshish. Tarshish. For I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O oh Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. It's pretty aggressive. It's better for me to die than to live. See, Jonah listened to God, and then God actually held up his end of the deal and, and, and saved Nineveh, and Jonah's still chaffed about it. And so what, what we see going on here is that Jonah wasn't actually mad about his trip to Nineveh. Uh, he wasn't mad that he'd have to get on a ship with a bunch of pagans and it would be smelly and stinky and suck. Uh, he wasn't even really that concerned about when he got to Nineveh. How was he actually going to deliver the message? Was, was it going to be hard? Were they going to be receptive? Instead, he was mad or, or concerned that God would actually hold up to his character. That if he went to Nineveh, delivered the gospel, and, and that the people of Nineveh, if their hearts were changed, that, that God would actually have mercy on his enemies and save them. That's what he didn't want. He wouldn't want mercy. He wanted doom. See, Jonah was proud and self-righteous. He thought, these schmucks don't deserve God's grace. I've lived for God. I've been following his commands. And, and these guys living in sin, in no way are they deserving of it. 
And Jonah was running from God because he knew the character of God. He knew that God would show them mercy. And Jonah was proud and he was selfish, and yet God chose him as his plan A. I find it so interesting that either, even after Jonah fumbled the ball, okay, he, he really like crapped the bed the first time. He goes the other way, ends up in a whale, and, and God still, for whatever reason, doesn't cut him from the team, doesn't put him on the bench, but God says, you're my guy, you're plan A. I'm gonna use you again. You're gonna figure it, figure it out this time. And he gave him another chance. So I don't know where you're at or what your life is like, but I know that God wants to give you another chance because that is so like our God. See, you and I, we have a lot in common with Jonah. We can be proud, we can be selfish, but most of all, and most importantly, you and I have in common with Jonah that we are God's plan A. You see, God, God didn't have a, a better lineup and ended up with you. God wasn't surprised by you. In fact, God designed you from the beginning to do exactly what you were doing, and he's not surprised by any of it. See, God wants to use you, and, and, and we see all throughout Scripture, and we say this often, but God, all throughout Scripture, uses unlikely, unqualified people to do magnificent things. Ed talked last week about Aaron. Uh, Aaron was uh, the leader of the Israelites for a short period of time when Moses went on sabbatical. Okay, Aaron gets in, in charge and builds a golden calf and has an orgy. Like, what in the world is going on? Okay, and then Abraham, it can't, he's not patient enough to wait for a son, and so he sleeps with his servant. These people have serious issues. And yet God said, you are my plan A. You see, God didn't use them because of their issues, but God used them because he knew that in, his weak, sorry, in their weakness, he could be most glorified. You see, Jesus redeems our mistakes and uses them for his glory. In 2 Corinthians 12, verse 9, it says, My grace is sufficient. I love this verse. My grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I, and this is Paul talking, I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness so that the power of Christ will rest upon me. Folks, that is such good news. And you might be sitting here today feeling beat up. You might be feeling tired. Maybe you're fearful because uh, in some way in your life, you're, you're running from God. You might not be going to Tarshish, but maybe there's something that you're avoiding. And you know what? I'm sure that there are things in your life that are real. There's problems, there are issues that are real. And we can't hear, we can't smooth them out. We can't get rid of them. We can't say that they don't exist or that they aren't significant because I'm sure that they are in your life and I don't know them, and I don't know how to help you get through them exactly, other than I can say that, that Christ has already paid for your mistakes, he's already paid for your problems, and that you're no longer eternally bound by them. Sure, you're still gonna bear the consequence of them, right? You're still gonna have to deal with some stuff here today on this earth, and you're gonna have to work through it, and it, it might not be easy, but the eternal consequence is done, it's finished. This is as bad as it gets. And so I don't know you and I don't know your story, but I do know that your problems aren't as big as our God. You see, the gospel is for Jonah. It's for proud Jonah who didn't want to see his enemies saved. Like, what a brutal dude. I don't want to see those guys saved. They don't deserve it. I deserve it. He was self-righteous. I was for the people of Nineveh who were committing all sorts of crazy, wicked acts. And it is just as much for you and I here today. 
Uh, I'm going to have the, the band join me here. We're going to get ready to close. But when we talk about the gospel, we are, are talking about the saving work of Jesus on the cross, that Jesus went to the cross. Uh, he, he had lived the perfect life that we should have lived, and then he died the death that we deserve to die. And I love how Ephesians chapter 2, verses 3 through 10 says and talks about the gospel. It says this. It's, this is my favorite passage of scripture. It says, We were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. That's not my favorite part. <laughs> but God, this is, this is a better part, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. And he raises us up and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. Nice. And this is not of your own doing. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing. It's a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship. We are his plan A. Created in Christ Jesus for the good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. See, you and I, we, we don't really bring much to the table. Are we okay to say that today? Okay, we don't bring that much to the table. Sure, a few mistakes. That's about what I bring to the table. But Jesus brings everything to the table. He says, you've done nothing. There's nothing that you could work at hard enough to earn this, and yet I've given it all to you. He's seated us at the right hand of God that nobody can boast because he's paid it all. You see, it's by his grace and his grace alone that we've been forgiven for our sins. If this idea of the gospel is still a bit cloudy, I love how Timothy Keller puts it. Timothy Keller is a pastor in New York, a a brilliant author, and um, just a real genius of a guy. He says this. He says, The Christian gospel is that I am so flawed that Jesus died for me. And yet I am so loved and valued that Jesus was glad to die for me. This leads to deep humility and deep confidence at the same time. It undermines both swaggering and sniveling. I cannot feel superior to anyone, and yet I have nothing to prove to anyone. I do not think of myself more, nor less of myself. Instead, I think of myself less. That's good news. Um, Today, we're going to celebrate that good news. We're going to celebrate the gospel together. We're going to remember what, what Christ did on the cross for you and for I And we're going to marvel in the fact that not because he had to, but because he chose to, um, he made us one with him. That we might have freedom, that we might be used as his plan A. And so we're going to do this by taking communion together. And it's not something we've done often at the house, but I think something that's so great for our community to do together. Um, If if you're new today here, this is your first time here, this might all sound a little bit crazy, but I I hope to bring it down to to earth for you. It's not weird. It doesn't need to be weird. Let's not make it weird. Communion is something that we celebrate as believers in Christ. It's a way that we uh, remember, that we marvel in the fact that he chose each one of us to, to die on the cross, knowing everything we've ever done and knowing everything we've ever did, everything we ever will do. 
and said, yeah, I'm going to sign up for that. That's, I'm going to take that one. And we remember communion this way because it's how Jesus instructed his disciples to do so. Uh, in, in Acts chapter 2, we, we see the early church remembering communion, remembering the Lord's Supper together. And so today, we're going to do that as a community together. We're going to do communion. And uh, I'm, I'm going to clearly walk through it so it's not weird. It doesn't need to be awkward. Um, really want you to, to feel comfortable with this tonight. So what we're going to do tonight is we're going to pass around two plates. Okay, the first is this. Uh, it's going to have some crackers in it. And, and the crackers in it are, are the body of Christ. The body that was um, shed for us on the cross. Not because he had to, but because he chose to. The second plate's going to be this. It's going to be a cup. And uh, the cup has juice in it, okay? It doesn't have wine. If you're looking to get buzzed today, you're going to have to go for a beer after this. The cup has juice in it, and the juice is the blood of Christ. Christ shed his blood for you on the cross. He, he took the lashes and, and took the pain. Uh, on the cross, he bore the weight, the sin of, of all time, past, present, and future, for you and I. So the blood is that. And if, if you're with us today, the only recommend or the only requirement for you uh, in, in, in taking up communion is that you have a relationship with Jesus, okay? Um, if you go to another church, that's awesome. If you, if you don't, I'd ask you just pass it along. The communion stuff is not going to save you. It's not going to make you any better. Um, but in a minute here, if you're going, you know what? I want to know more about who Jesus is and what he's done for me and how I can uh, lean into him and his plan for my life. Uh, I'm going to give you an opportunity to do that. And so uh, if that's something that's on your heart, go ahead and, and grab those emblems and, and we'll celebrate together after. Um, the only thing that you need is a relationship with Jesus. So as the plates are passed around, hang on to each of them. Um, we're going to partake once everyone uh, has, has each of them together and remember together So I'm just going to pray here real quick while Michaela's playing quietly. And I'm not going to make you put up your hand or do anything weird. But I want you to know that regardless of where you're at and what you've done, who you are and what you think you're going to do, um, Christ went to the cross for you. That he, foreknowing everything you would do, said you're worth it. And this is, no one else ever in life will ever do this for you. And he said, I know what you've done. I know what you're going to do. And, and I'm going to give you freedom. So in Christ, we have forgiveness of those sins. And so I'm going to pray a simple prayer. You don't have to pray it out loud. You don't have to do anything weird. Um, but if, if you resonate with that, and that's something, maybe you're not even sure about it, but you, you want to start that journey, I encourage you to pray along in your heart and then talk to someone af after the service today. And so why don't we just bow our heads, all the eyes closed. Jesus, we're so thankful, so thankful that you have chosen us as your plan A. So thankful that you've chosen to redeem us, that you've chosen to make all things right on the cross. And so, um, Jesus, for those here today, uh, we're going to say a short prayer. And um, we 
we all know that we need your help. And we're just going to say this, God, that uh, today, Jesus, I want to um, put my trust in you. I want to recognize that there's things in my life that don't make anyone look good. There's mistakes I've made and things I need for forgiveness for. And today I ask for those things. Jesus, I just pray that you would forgive me for my inadequacies and my shortcomings, both the things I've done and the things that I will do. Jesus, I just pray that moving forward, that you would help us. God, that you would come into our hearts and have our lives by your spirit, that you would empower us, and that, God, you would change us. Jesus, we live in a world that's in desperate need of your hope, and I want to be a part of helping. So if, if you even thought about that prayer, if you want to know more about Jesus, who he is, if it's all weird and you still need some help, um, that's okay. It's kind of confusing. I get it. Um, I encourage you to try and chat with someone after the service. If you leave here today and don't, man, life is crazy. Life is hectic. It's hairy. Um, you need help just like the rest of us need help. Okay, let's be real about that. We're going to take communion together. I think it's made it around. And uh, we do communion, like I said, because Jesus first did it with his disciples. And so we see a passage in Matthew 26, 26 through 28. And it starts this way. He says, it says, now as they were eating, that Jesus took the bread and after blessing it, he broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, take, eat this, this is my body. And so today we're going to just grab your piece of bread, your cracker, it's gluten-free, and we're just going to remember what Christ has done for us. given thanks, he gave it to them saying, drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many, for many, for the forgiveness of sins. So we're going to take the cup and uh, remember the blood that was shed on the cross for us today. sacrifice that was made for us on the cross. God, not as some lousy ritual, but as a, a thankful obedience, a thankful worship for, for how you've saved us, for how you've made all things new. God, I pray that you'd be so gracious that as we respond in worship, God, that you would just reveal more of yourself to us, that you'd re reveal more of your heart for us, to us. God, that we might uh, find a greater desire to follow you in all that we do. We pray that you'd help us knowing that we're distracted people and that we need your help. But Jesus, we just pray that you would always remind us that there is nothing that you can do, nothing that we can do to make you love us more. And there's nothing that we can do to make you love us less, but that you've loved us eternally, forever, perfect in Jesus. I love you. We pray this in your name. And everyone said...